Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, for the students who are here uh, and not cramming, uh, it's very good to see you here. For the previous students as well, it's great to have you here visiting our great school. Uh, I don't take it uh, lightly that you all have uh, decided to carve some time out of Avengers Endgame weekend uh, to be here and hear the Word of God. I actually consider it an honor uh, that I'm able to, uh, uh, to preach on such a prestigious uh, uh, moment in history. But I am so grateful, uh, Dr. Aiken, uh, for the opportunity uh, to serve here uh, at Southeastern. Uh, Annie and I said the first time that we visited the campus, which actually was just a few years ago, that this felt like home. And I've never said that outside of Maryland. And so for us to be here uh, for the time that we've been here, it really has been home for us, and we are so grateful for you guys. By the way, before we get into the scriptures, uh, I, I mentioned Maryland, and this is a little bit of an, of an accomplishment, so I just want to let you all know. Uh, I've got blue crabs on this bow tie here. And so that, you know, I just need to make that known. That, that's the little, the little slight, subtle, hey guys, back in Maryland, how y'all doing? Miss y'all. I just wanted to uh, say that to you guys. All right, turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. Hear now the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 
So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray together. Father, make your word plain to us. Teach us. Lord, I know there are some who are here that are weary, worn. They may be wondering right now, is this worth it? I pray, Lord, that through the preaching of your word, you may bring healing to their souls. You may bring a fire in their hearts. That they may resolve on this day that it is indeed worth it to suffer for such a spectacular gospel. Lord, do mighty things among us. We ask big things because you're a big God. And we know that you are able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. So magnify your son among us and fill us with great joy to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we say as an institution that we are going, we are equipping you uh, to go to the far reaches of the earth, to go to our neighbors and to the nations with the gospel of Christ. And that requires that you will have to love people across cultures, across different cultures from your own. Loving people across cultures can get you into trouble. I experienced this firsthand when I was called to be an interim pastor uh, while I was a seminary student. My family, on our first Sunday, was walking into the, the sanctuary, and as we were walking from the parking lot into the sanctuary, there was an older white man who was walking out of the sanctuary into the parking lot. And as he passed my family, he spit on the ground and muttered under his voice, I will never sit under a black man. We had fun in that church. It was a great experience there. <laughs> a few months later, we had experienced uh, the work of God like we had never experienced before. I have never baptized as many people in any position of, of, of ministry than I did there at that church. It was a predominantly white church, but it was in a predominantly Hispanic and increasingly Hispanic uh, neighborhood. And, and we just said, you know what, I, I don't know, you know, all of the, the things, uh, the ins and outs of, of intercultural ministry among Hispanics. All I know is that they need Jesus and I'm going to give them the gospel every time we walk into this church and, and every time we walk into this neighborhood. And so we did so and God was bringing people in droves who were hearing the gospel message, re requesting to be baptized, becoming members in the church. It was a spectacular season of ministry that most of the people in the church did not appreciate. I remember in particular a conversation that I had with a deacon that lasted three hours over the phone. And it took me a few minutes in the conversation to recognize what the problem was. The problem was, according to him, I was catering to the Hispanics. Now, I told him in response, uh, their first language is Spanish, and I keep preaching in English, so I don't know what the catering part is. 
uh, you know. And he said, well, well, it seems like they're coming in and they're, they're coming to faith in Christ and, and, and they're being baptized and all of that. It seems like, like you've got some type of plot, you know, to, uh, to, to only get the gospel to Hispanics, to which I told him, mind you, back then I'm a seminary student, I'm naive, I, I don't exactly recommend doing this, guys, when you get into ministry and you have deacons, but I told him, you know, if you brought some of your friends, maybe they would come to faith in Christ too. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, I've matured a little bit over the years. Loving people across cultures got me in trouble. And don't be surprised if it gets you into trouble too. You could be viciously slandered if you pursue transracial adoption. People may have the audacity to say that you are betraying your race if you do so. You could be pressured to end your interracial relationship with someone who may be a godly man or a godly woman, loves Jesus, wants to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, but you may hear people tell you that if you do so, if you continue in this relationship, you will continue in sin. You may feel called to spend the summer at an overseas missions trip and your family might retort that you need to stay right here. There are plenty of unbelievers right here in, in this neighborhood, plenty of unbelievers right here in this community. If, if those people over there need the gospel, then one of their own can get the gospel to them. You could seek to be an advocate for minorities and be criticized for not doing enough. You could be a minority seeking to be a, build, a bridge builder and be criticized as being an Uncle Tom or an Oreo. It seems that at times, loving people across cultures is a lose-lose situation. Along with the troubles, it's also, hard to love, uh, it's also hard to love people across cultures. When you consider, you may have to learn different languages. You may have to learn different foods. You may have to learn different uh, customs, different clothes, different music, different political views, and so on. If loving people across cultures is so hard and can get you into so much trouble, why on earth would I put myself through all the drama and all the trauma? You know, there was one person who thought that it was worth it. There was one person who thought that, that, that doing ministry across cultures and getting the gospel to people who were different from him were both worth the struggle and worth the sufferings. His name was Paul. Here in the letter to the Ephesians, he's writing under house arrest. He refers to that in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. He tells us why he's a prisoner. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Okay? He, he is in chains because he thinks that it is worth it to get the gospel to Gentiles. He is a Jew doing ministry among Gentiles. We call that cross-cultural ministry, do we not? All right, Paul is doing cross-cultural ministry and it got him under arrest. But yet he says in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. 
Don't lose heart, he says to the Ephesians, and he says it to us. All the trouble is worth it. And he wants the Ephesians and he wants us to be encouraged, not discouraged by his suffering. In fact, I believe he wants us to be so encouraged by his suffering that he's actually asking us to join in with him. Get in on this. It's worth it. Why is it worth it? Why is it worth the drama and the trauma? Why is it worth being worn and weary? Well, Paul will tell us here in these paragraphs that God is doing something in cross-cultural ministry that is far more significant than you could ever realize. In fact, this plan of God that is interwoven and, and even fueled by this kind of ministry is the secret to enduring cross-cultural ministry. So today, I want us to look at the secret of enduring cross-cultural ministry here. Well, first off, to endure in cross-cultural ministry, we got to recognize that cross-cultural ministry unveils God's secret. Cross-cultural ministry unveils God's secret. Look at verses, uh, uh, starting in verse 2. He says, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. All right, let's, let's, let's unpack this for a little bit. What's he, what does he mean here? First off, notice that this, this uh, secret that God has given to us is a stewardship. In verse 2, he says, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me. So, so God in his grace has unveiled for us, he has, he has entrusted us with this secret, this mystery. Now, now the word mysterion, I've got to say this here, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, uh, what we tend to think of when we think uh, spy novels or when we think crime dramas or, or things like that. We're not talking about a mystery in the sense that this is something that you've got to figure out if you just follow the breadcrumbs all the way uh, uh, to the solution. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking here like secret. This is, this is a secret. This is something that you would have never known unless somebody told told it to you. If you go online, you notice uh, a lot of people saying uh, uh, to uh, folks in the, in the, um, uh, as, as the new movie is coming out, as the Avengers movie is coming out, they're saying, please don't spoil anything. No spoilers. All right. Don't tell us anything because we want to find out for ourselves. If you tell us what happens, obviously, then that ruins the whole movie for us. This is a secret that we ruin. Okay, God intended this secret to go out. He intended this secret for everybody else to know. And he's entrusted it to us for that purpose. It's a stewardship. We need to handle it with care. And by handle it, we mean don't keep it. We mean blurt it out. Okay, not only is it a stewardship, but then he talks about how this has been given to us by revelation in verse three. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Follow the trail here. Follow the trail. First, the secret has been in God's mind from all eternity. 
And then he waited for a, an opportune time for him to tell people this secret, right? For previous generations, Paul says, they had no idea about what was going on with this secret. God apparently is a really, he's really good at keeping secrets, okay? Uh, he would win, you know, that game hands down anytime, all right? But, but uh, there was a time then where God said, now I want to give that secret out. When did he do that? It says there that uh, this insight in verse four is into the mystery of Christ. So this secret revolves around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus accomplished his work on earth, then he ascended into the Father, uh, into the heavens at the Father's right hand. The Spirit now reveals new elements of this plan to the apostles and the prophets. It's, it's kind of like the plot twist in the movie or an Easter egg in a video game. He, he's, he's held it back, but now he's going to show us, now that we've made it to that level in redemptive history, if you will. And then Paul, one of the apostles, takes that secret that he's been given by means of the Holy Spirit, and he writes writes it down. Note, the secret that God has given to us in this generation is found in Scripture. All right? This is a biblical revelation. You don't have to go over to some newfangled prophet, you know, who, who has some claim to new revelation. God just spoke to him sometime after he had that, you know, uh, uh, 4 a.m. burrito from Taco Bell. And, and now all of a sudden he's, he's got a word from the Lord to tell you. You don't need that. You don't need that. We've got all the words that we need from God in Scripture. God has written to us this secret. He's unveiled it to us. How amazing he's done that through the Apostle Paul because here's the thing. Now that we've got the scriptures, we can take this secret anywhere. We can translate it into different languages. We can let everybody know what this secret is. Well, Ronjor, um, you, you haven't let us know what the secret is. What, what, what's, what's, what's the secret? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the secret in verse six, ready? This secret, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, ESV, I, I, I appreciate them, what they did here, but the Greek is just too much fun. In the Greek, you have the prefix uh, soon. Uh, it's kind of related to our prefix syn, S-Y-N. So you think of a synthesis or a synonym or something, uh, uh, something happening uh, symbiotically or things like that. It's the idea of sameness, all right? So take that word same, put that back in here. Gentiles are the same heirs. Gentiles are the same body. It's this word there, susoma, the same body. Gentiles are the same partners of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Note what's going on here. We're the same heirs. That means that Gentile believers receive an equal share of the inheritance with the Jewish believers. We are the same body. We have an equal place, an equal status in the body of Christ with Jewish believers. We are the same partakers. We get equal participation and equal share in the promise, probably a reference there to the Holy Spirit in chapter one. There are no tiers, no levels of hierarchy in the body of Christ. 
Jew and Gentiles are equal in Christ through the gospel. Now, now notice, this is the secret. Look how far this thing goes. The gospel is not the secret. We've kind of known that since the Garden of Eden, right? I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. We've known that since the Garden. If that's a secret, that's a terrible secret. The the secret isn't that God extends his grace to Gentiles. We've known that since the Old Testament. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's not a secret. We've known that since Genesis 12. What's the secret? The secret is that Gentiles have equal status to Jews in Christ. Paul says that this new reality, this new experience comes in Christ through the gospel. Notice this is not a new political movement. It's not a populist movement or anything like that. He says in verse 2 that this is a stewardship of God's grace in here. What does that mean? This equality that is accomplished through the death and resurrection of Christ is the only kind of equality that God creates here among us. It's through the gospel that this happens. And that gospel is applied to us by God's grace. Mm. Now we can see why Paul is in prison. (laughs) Guess what? It's controversial to say that Gentiles are equal to Jews. Guess what? In our culture, it's controversial to say that Gentiles are equal to Gentiles. Think about the levels, uh, the, the, uh, the leveling work that our Savior does here at the cross. Think about the fact that no pedigree, no ethnicity, no nationality, no morality gives us any type of heads up before the Savior. Notice that Jesus is the great equalizer. I love this. Notice also that this suffering for Paul was worth it because he recognizes that the wall, as he says in chapter 2, that divides Jew and Gentile has been torn down so that we have equal status one with another. I'll be honest with you, a few things frustrate me. Like clicking on a link to an interesting article only to realize that full access to that article is behind a paywall. Ah, right? You click on that, and all of a sudden it comes up and says, hey, for a subscription of $9.99, you can have this and every other article that you want. Oh, $9.99 a month, by the way. I just wanted this article, right? You know, I've got a paper to write, and this is, this is one of those uh, uh, articles that would be, you know, the linchpin to everything in my, in my argument. I, I got to have this article, but oh, I don't want the paywall. But notice, if I pay that subscription, I get access to everything. Paul was telling us that before we had Jesus, we Gentiles were behind a paywall. 
(laughs) There was no way that we could accept and receive access to all of the blessings that God had for his covenant people. There was no way that you could get behind and to the other side of that paywall, but God in his grace sent his son who paid the full subscription, and because he paid that subscription, we Gentiles get full access to all of the blessings that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Is that good news to you? That is fantastic news for a Gentile like me. So here's the question then. What paywall are you setting up? What are the things that you are putting up as barriers to say, hey, you can have all of the enjoyment of God's blessings and everything. You just got to jump through these hoops too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus paid it all, but you have to pay a few uh, exorbitant fees too. You got to read the fine print. What paywall have we set up? Paywalls that say, hey, you've got to be just like us if you're going to experience the fullness of God's grace. You've got to be just like us if you're going to experience the fullness of gospel fellowship with us. You've got to like the same things. You've got to speak the same language. You've got to be from the same town. You've got to have the same ethnicity. You've, you, you've got to be just like us or else you can't be with us. God forbid that we would set up a paywall when Jesus paid it all. This was worth the suffering because this is good news. Paul says, I've got to get this message out to everybody. I've got to make sure that everybody hears what God has accomplished in his son. I want everybody to know the fullness of God's grace in Jesus Christ. I want everyone to know that they can get in on this. And if that means that I have to go to prison for it, I will go to prison. If that means that a few years later I'll be beheaded for this, I will be beheaded for this. But you're going to have to cut my head off to shut me up. Because I've got to get this out to everybody. Everybody. And may that same drive be in us as well. If you are suffering because you had the nerve to take the gospel across cultures, (laughs) don't lose heart. Because you are indeed unveiling God's secret. Not only are you unveiling God's secret, but you are also unleashing God's secret. Cross-cultural ministry unleashes God's secret. This, by the way, is where it gets really, really good. (laughs) I'm excited about this. Look what he says in verses 7 to 9. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Notice he's emphasizing the fact, again, that this is grace. This is God's grace to do this. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Notice first off, we we unleash God's secret to all peoples. We got to get the gospel out to all peoples. If this is true, everybody needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear this. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks they're on. They've got to hear this. It doesn't matter if they've got potholes all up and down their street. They need to hear this. It doesn't matter if they've got prostitutes on their corner. They need to hear this and the prostitutes do too. 
What must we do? What must we say to them? Notice what Paul says. He says, I've got to tell you the unsearchable riches of Christ. What's that mean? Unsearchable. Clinton Arnold in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, he, he actually says that the root of the word behind unsearchable is the word for footprint. It's a word for footprint. So uh, when you use that in a noun, or I'm sorry, when it's used as a verb, it carries the idea of, of a tracker, right? Somebody who's, who's hunting someone else down. They're retracing the steps in order to get to uh, uh, the suspect, to get to the person that you're looking for. Paul puts a negative prefix on top of this word to say that the riches of God are untraceable. Untraceable. What does he mean? He means you can't get to the bottom of how rich God is, how rich our Lord Jesus Christ is. Jesus has inestimable wealth. How wealthy is Jesus? He owns the universe. And I love how Piper puts it. If God got bored with that and wanted to be even richer than that, he could just say, let there be a second universe and a third and a fourth. That's crazy wealth, guys. I, I, I know uh, uh, some of our baseball fans, we talk about Mike Trout, uh, who was the uh, um, star player for the Angels, and he signed this contract that was worth over $400 million dollars. You hear that and you go, he, they paid him almost half a billion dollars to hit a ball with a stick? <laughs> That's amazing. That takes some crazy skill. Jesus owns every tree and he owns the soil that the tree was planted in and he owns the rock that the soil exists on, and he owns the solar system that that, that, that planet is on, and he owns the galaxy that the solar sister exists, uh, system exists in, and for the record, he owns every other galaxy ever. That blows $400 million out of the water. Not only is he that wealthy in terms of how much he possesses, but think about this, he also is a God of unimaginable grace. Think about this. We sinners, <laughs> we sinners, we, we think in whatever ridiculous, uh, for whatever ridiculous reasons that our sin exhausts the grace of God. We think when we've sinned, oh, that was it. I used up all the grace last sin, and now here I am. I sinned, and I just don't think that there's enough grace there. Where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds, Romans 5 says. Our Lord possesses storehouses of grace, and he has so much available for you. You have no idea how wealthy Jesus is, and we get the opportunity to proclaim that to our neighbors and to the nations. Jesus is crazy rich. <laughs> Why is that amazing? Because of what he says in the next part. He says, not only does he preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, but he also brings to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Why is that significant? Because that goes right back to the secret. What's the secret? We get equal share. So guess what? All of that, all of the riches of God, in, uh, of Christ in owning all of the cosmos and all of the riches of his grace are equally ours. You get a share of the inheritance. It's 
yours. Say that to the person who's strung out on drugs on the corner. Tell them, dude, do you realize that you don't have to waste your life? You don't have to waste your life on drugs. You don't have to waste your life on alcohol. You don't have to waste your life like this. Why? Because if you trust in Christ, you will own everything. The inheritance is yours. You can go from being a guy sitting on the corner of the street to being a child of the king. Just like that. Say that to the prostitute who is hurt over and over and over again. Nobody cares about you. Your life doesn't matter. Nobody, if you were to die right now, nobody would feel sorry for you. And you go over to them and you say, hey, I want to let you know there is a king in heaven who gave his life so that you could be a part of his family. And this one will never leave you and never forsake you. His love will be with you forever. We have the opportunity to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to our neighbors and to the nations, and we get the privilege to say to them, it is yours. It is all yours because Christ is all yours. But there's one more audience. We got to get this out to all peoples, but we also get to get this out to all powers. Look at verse 10. Paul, Paul is on another level right now. All right, he is, he is gone somewhere. If, if Paul were black, he'd be running laps around the church. All right, verse 10. <laughs> this is where the organ starts going for Paul. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 10. So that, there's another purpose for why he, he, he's got to get the mystery out, why he's got to unleash God's secret, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Oh, this is good. God has a message to tell the spiritual forces, these demonic forces that have opposed his plan from the beginning. God is spectacularly wiser than they are. How does he show that? Well, well, in order to understand that, you've got to get into chapter 1. So, so just flip real quick to chapter 1 and, and listen to what he says in verses 8 through 10. This is the last time that he talks about a mystery and, and all of this. It's back in chapter 1. Look at verses 8 through 10. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. What's that mystery? to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God has purposed to bring all of heaven and all of earth under the rule and the authority of his son. Check this, the equality of Jews and Gentiles is phase one. When we preach this message, not just preach the gospel, not just preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but we say to the Gentiles, you have an equal position in Christ as everybody else. We are saying to the spiritual forces in the heavenly places, game on. God is coming. He is, he is returning. Our Savior is going to rule and reign, and our Father is going to bring all of heaven and all of earth under his authority. What we do in our community and in our unity together is a little glimpse of what God is going to do on a cosmic level. 
This is fantastic. There are some who would try to separate the great commission and the vision of this cosmic redemption here. There is no division here. The great commission is phase one. We go and we make disciples of all peoples and all nations and we bring them together in community and in fellowship and we treat them as our brothers and sisters in Christ like they are. That is a part of the cosmic redemption that God has planned to bring all of heaven and earth under his son and under his rule and his authority. Don't try to separate all of scripture. Bring it all together and marvel. Oh, this is amazing. So loving people across cultures, it can get you into trouble. (laughs) You face the slander, you face the reviling, the rejection, the blackballing, the drama, the trauma. Remember, we are given grace to unveil God's secret. And we're given grace to unleash God's secret to the nations and even to the cosmos. We go to the hood, we go to the sticks, we go to the nations, we preach Christ to Jews and Gentiles that we may all enjoy equal access to the untraceable riches of Christ. And with the hope that one day we will gather as one from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language before the throne of Christ Jesus, don't lose heart. You are a small part of God's plan to unite the cosmos in Christ. And being a part of this grand plan is the secret to enduring cross-cultural ministry. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are some people who are ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to quit. This is too much for them to bear and And they're they're ready to walk away and just say, you know what, it's easier if I would just be around people who are just like me. Father, I pray that this scripture would encourage them to stick around a little bit longer, to endure, and don't lose heart. There are some here, Lord, who never considered going to the hard places, who never considered going outside of their boundaries, outside of their cultures. Father, I pray that you would give them grace to recognize that our marching orders from Jesus was not to remain comfortable. Our marching orders were to make disciples of all nations and all peoples. So, Father, as you so equip us, send us out. And may we go wherever you lead us, We long for the day, Lord, when we can see the fruit of our labors, when we gather together with all peoples and say, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, We hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www 
www.scbts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.